Well, good morning. Good to see all of you here this morning. Glad you're here. Glad you're joining us online as well. If you want to grab your Bibles and turn to the book of James chapter 2. James 2, as we uh, discuss sanctification, what it means to be holy unto God. James chapter 2. I want us to read verses 14 to the end of the chapter. James 2, beginning in verse 14. What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warmed and filled without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? So also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works and I will show you my faith by my works. You believe that God is one, you do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. Do you want to be shown, you foolish person, that faith Apart from works is useless? Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar? You see that faith was active along with his works, and that faith was completed by his works. And the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness, and he was called a friend of God. You see that a person is justified by works, not by faith alone. And in the same way was not also Rahab, the prostitute, justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out by another way. So, for as the body apart from the spirit is dead, so also faith apart from works is dead. Let us pray. We desire to be holy, Father, unto you. Help us to see clearly from your word what it means to be holy. And I pray that you would get me out of the way, Father, so that people can see you clearly. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may recognize the name Jonathan Edwards. Jonathan Edwards was an 18th century preacher. He's best known for his sermon, Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God. And he wrote many sermons, and, and it's, it's kind of unfortunate that we only know him for that one sermon because he wrote so many excellent uh, works on not just sin and the judgment of God, but on, on God's grace, His mercy, His love. But he also kept a, a private journal, and this is... I'm going to read a portion of that as we begin to discuss and think about holiness. Listen to what Jonathan Edwards wrote. He says, I claim no right to myself, no right to this understanding, this will, these affections that are in me. Neither do I have any right to this body or its members, no right to this tongue, to these hands, feet, ears, or eyes. I've given myself clear away and not retained anything of my own. 
I have been to God this morning and told him, I have given myself wholly to him. I've given every power so that for the future I claim no right to myself in any respect. I have expressly promised him, for by his grace I will not fail. I take him as my whole portion and felicity, looking upon nothing else as any part of my happiness. His law is the constant rule of my obedience. I will fight with all my might against the world, the flesh, and the devil to the end of my life. I will adhere to the faith of the gospel, however hazardous and difficult the profession and practice of it may be. I receive the blessed spirit as my teacher, sanctifier, and only comforter, and cherish all admonitions to enlighten, purify, confirm, comfort, and assist me. This I have done. I pray God, for the sake of others, to look upon this as a self-dedication and receive me as his own. Henceforth, I'm not to act in any respect as my own. I shall act as my own if I ever make use of any of my powers to do anything that is not to the glory of God or to fail to make the glorifying of Him my whole and entire business. If I murmur in the least at afflictions, if I am in any way uncharitable, if I revenge my own case, if I do anything purely to please myself or omit anything because it is a great denial, if I trust to myself, if I take any praise for any good which Christ does by me, or if I am in any way proud, I shall act as my own and not God's. I purpose to be absolutely His. Woo! Tall order. And it's a, it's a steep resolution, but a couple of things stand out here. You have at once Edwards' renunciation of himself on the one hand, and on the other hand, you have the dedication of his energies to the glory of God. He begins by saying, I claim no right to myself. And then he turns right around and says, I've given myself wholly to him. I will fight with all my might against the world, the flesh, and the devil. What, I, what Edwards is describing here is sanctification. He's describing holiness. He's describing being set apart wholly and entirely for God. And what Edwards recognized is what I hope we recognize this morning. It is that God is at work in His saints to sanctify us fully. What is sanctification? What does sanctification mean? What does it mean for us? This is what I want to explore and, and what Scripture provides a clear path of for Christians as we pursue holiness. Now, as we begin to discuss and think about sanctification... We need to recognize that on the road to holiness, there are ditches on either side of the road. Two ditches on the sides of the road of holiness. On the one hand, there's the ditch of antinomianism. It's a big word. What does it mean? Break it down. Anti. We know what anti means. To be anti-something, anti-anything is to be opposed to that, to that thing. Nomian. From the Greek, nomos, means law. So this would be anti-lawism. This is outlawism. It is to be opposed to the law, or at least to live a life that appears to be opposed to the law. This ditch says sanctification and the sanctified life is unnecessary. This side of the road says, well, since I've been justified by Christ, in Christ, by God, through faith, since I've been justified, sin's not really that big a deal. 
and I don't really have to do anything with it. I can do whatever I want because, after all, I'm forgiven. Colloquially, this has been classified as once saved, always saved. You were saved, and therefore there's nothing you can do to lose that salvation. So, all the only income, do whatever you want. I've received grace, and therefore I'm going to live however I want. This is grace without holiness. What does Scripture say to this? Well, we've already read here in James chapter 2, haven't we? James, writing to Christians about what it looks like to have true saving faith. And he says that faith without works is dead. We read verse 14. What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? And he begins to explain, and in verse 17, he says, So also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. It's a dead faith. Verse 26, the summation of his argument. For as the body apart from the Spirit is dead, so also faith apart from works is dead. Scripture, we are exhorted to put off the old self. Paul writes this in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 22, Colossians 3 and verse 9. Put off the old self. No, this antinomian idea, this outlawism, simply will not do for true saving faith. A Christian will avoid the ditch that says, you've received grace, so now you can do whatever you want. True saving faith, as James is saying here, is always accompanied by the good works that God has prepared for us to walk in beforehand. So that's one ditch to be aware of, one ditch we want to avoid. But the other side of the road is just as deadly and dangerous. The other ditch on the road to holiness is the ditch of legalism. Legalism. This is the idea that the sanctified life, it's all dependent upon me. It's all riding on me. I'm the one who's holding the boat together. I've been justified and now I am making myself righteous by the good works that I do. Our obedience is somehow commending us to God. God, He put me on the balance beam, as it were, and now it's all dependent upon me to stay on the balance beam. I've received grace. And now, I'm the one, I've got to figure it out and get it right. Whatever that means, whatever that looks like. What does Scripture say to this? Scripture speaks a better word, fortunately. In the book of Philippians, chapter 1, and verse 6, listen carefully to what Paul says to these Christians in Philippi. Philippians 1, 6, And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. He's talking about God. And how God, who began the good work, is going to be the one who brings it to completion. God's going to do it. He goes on. Uh, in chapter 2, verses 12 and 13, he says, Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for, let me tell you why, let me tell you why you are to work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Paul is saying, not saying, he's not saying, work for your salvation. you got to earn it. Perish the thought. He is saying God is at work in you. 
in any way you're going to complete the way of sanctification is going to be because God sees you through it. Because God works, we work. God is at work, and when we work, we recognize it's God's working. He's the one working in and through us, both to will and to work for His good pleasure. That's what it's all about. Not so I can stand up there and say, God, you're so lucky to have a Christian like me. No, it's for His good pleasure. And the sanctified heart says, that is more than enough. The good pleasure of God. Here are the ditches on the road to holiness. On the one hand, on the other hand, antinomianism and legalism. They are both deadly and dangerous, and they are to be avoided if we would truly live the sanctified life. So what's the good path that we should walk in? What is the good path that we would walk in? Well, there is a a middle way, as it were, if we would walk in the middle of the road to sanctification and to holiness. And it has two aspects to it. One has to do with your position, and the other has to do with the process. Both are necessary. I think we more often think of the process of holiness in our lives just because we are time-bound, linear creatures who think moment by moment. But there's also, just as important, the position of holiness. Let me talk about the position first of all. Positional sanctification is the fact that in Christ and because of Christ, you are sanctified right now, holy and fully because of Jesus. To the church in Corinth, Notice what Paul writes in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 2. As he opens this, and you know, we tend to just read right through these opening uh, paragraphs, these opening verses. Okay, Paul and this church and all that. We miss stuff, though, if we do that. Verse 2, Paul is writing to the church that is in Corinth. To those sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints, together with all those who in every place call upon the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, both their Lord and ours. Notice, sanctified. And and the force of this is they were sanctified and they stand sanctified. They were made holy and they continue to be holy in Christ Jesus. And again, because of Christ Jesus. That's the only way Paul can write this. To be sanctified, to be made holy, but also to have that present standing. That's the force, that's the emphasis. Later on, in chapter 6 and verse 11, we know the verses that lead up to verse 11. Verse 9 and verse 10, uh, about those who practice unrighteousness, they will not inherit the kingdom of God. And Paul lists several sins that will separate you from God. Both big sins and little sins, you know, but we understand the nature of sin, that all sin does the same stuff. It all separates us from God. Some are more evil than others. We're just talking about the distance traveled now after we've missed the mark. But, verse 11, Paul says, And such were some of you, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. He says, you were sanctified. And again, it's a a completed action. This is the positional sanctification. This is our position before God in Christ. We are sanctified. And listen, we know about Corinth, don't we? They had problems. 
They had a lot of problems. They couldn't even get the Lord's Supper right. And yet, with, despite their flaws, and with all their flaws and shortcomings and sins, Paul still says, you're holy, you're sanctified, you're set apart. And so I say to each one of us, even with all of our flaws and despite our flaws, our shortcomings, our sins, as Christians, we still stand before God in Christ, sanctified. And it's only because of Jesus. It's not unlike under the old covenant. You had the temple, a building, a structure that was sanctified, set apart. You had sacrifices that were sanctified, set apart. You had a whole day, the Sabbath, that was set apart, sanctified. That is, they were taken from common use and set aside for use unto God. They were consecrated, set apart for a specific purpose and a specific will, and that was God's purpose and God's will. In the same way, brothers and sisters, we are the temple. We are the sacrifices of God. We have been set apart, taken from the world for common and unholy use, and set apart, sanctified, consecrated unto God for His purpose and His will. That's this positional sanctification. We've been holified, if you will. We've been made holy in Christ, and this produces new motivations for the new life that we are to live. And the basis of the motivation is not to somehow puff out my chest or to treat grace as though it's somehow cheap, but rather it's gratitude for the grace that we have received. Gratitude, thanksgiving, that's the new motivation for this life. And it counters both of those ideas of antinomianism and legalism. There's no room for it. And it also informs the process. The, our position in Christ informs our process, the, the progress that we make. Conditional sanctification, as it's been uh, called before. This is the actual process of being made holy in time and space. It is our level of maturity in our Christian walk at any given point in our lives. Our daily walk with Christ at any given point in our life is our conditional sanctification. It's where we are in our journey, in our walk. It's our experience of holiness, even on a day-to-day -day basis. It's our growth in holiness as we are more and more set apart for the will and purpose of God. As we are being conformed more and more from one degree of glory to another degree, conformed to the image of Christ. 2 Corinthians 3 and verse 18. We move further and further away from sin and more and more toward the purpose and will of God. I'm thinking specifically of 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. 1 Thessalonians 4. Listen carefully to what Paul says here, beginning in verse 1. Finally then, brothers, we ask and urge you in the Lord Jesus 
that as you received from us how you ought to walk and to please God, just as you are doing, that you do so more and more. Paul's talking about that process. He's talking about the progress we're supposed to make in our Christian walk. Our, Our level of spiritual maturity is to increase more and more throughout the rest of our lives or until Jesus comes back, whichever comes first. For you know, verse 2, you know what instructions we gave you through the Lord Jesus. Listen carefully. Verse 3, for this is the will of God. You want to know what God's will is for your life? Here it is. Your sanctification. Your translation may say your holiness. That's good too. Your sanctification. What does that look like, Paul? Can you, can you get specific? Sure. Verse, the rest of verse 3, that you abstain from fornication. So it has to do with sexual purity, but more than that, verse 4, that each one of you know how to control his own body in holiness and honor. And honor. This is honorable self-control of our body. So it's not just thinking good thoughts about God or holy thoughts, it's also, it has outward expression in how we live and move and have our being. Not in the passion of lust like the Gentiles who do not know God. This is supposed to be countercultural. You are to look different than the world. You look different than the surrounding society as a result of holiness. And again, it's rooted in, they don't know God. You do. And because you know God, you know what God requires of you as His child. Again, this is how you ought to walk. This is how you ought to live, how you are to grow and and progress in the faith. Verse 6, that no one transgress and wrong his neighbor in this matter, his brother in this matter, because the Lord is an avenger in all these things, as we told you beforehand and solemnly warned you. You see, this has interpersonal uh, implications. It has, inter, it has impact upon your interpersonal relationship with other people. Specifically here, your brother. Paul goes on, for God has not called us for impurity, but in holiness. Therefore, <clears throat> whoever disregards this, disregards not man, but God, who gives His Holy Spirit to you. Why you need to pay close attention? Paul's not just making this up off the cuff. This is from God. Verse 9. Now concerning brotherly love, you have no need for anyone to write to you, for you yourselves have been taught by God to love one another. Again, more of this interpersonal relationship stuff. Loving one another. Loving the church. Verse 10, for that indeed is what you are doing to all the brothers throughout Macedonia. And we urge you, brothers, to do this more and more. We've seen this back in verse 1. This is the process. This is the progress. It's the spiritual maturity. You are to grow in holiness. And this is what it looks like. Verse 11, and to aspire to live quietly. Let's call this quiet simplicity, shall we? Well, we got a lot of stuff that complicates our lives these days, doesn't it? A lot of noise out there. Loud, loud, loud. To aspire to live quietly. You want to talk about something that's countercultural? Just just stop engaging. Quiet simplicity. To mind your own affairs. 
Mind your business. All right? You don't have to get in, in the middle of every squabble and every discussion, every argument. You don't have to give your two cents on everything. Sometimes you just need to, well, mind your business. To mind your own affairs. It's not me. This is Paul. This is the Holy Spirit speaking directly to us even today. The Holy Spirit says, mind your business. <laughs> and to work with your hands. Hard work. Hard work. A, a work ethic. That's, that's a good thing. That's a God-given thing. Work didn't come just because of the fall. You understand, that Adam had a job to do before sin came into the world. Go back and read Genesis chapter 2. That's why all, this, all these news reports about people, they don't want to work, they just want to kind of sit back and let the government take care of them. That's not a good thing. Not from a biblical worldview. The Bible exhorts us, get to work. Work with your hands as we instructed you so that you may walk properly before outsiders and be dependent on no one. Again, this is from the Holy Spirit, whom God gave us, verse 8. He helps us in our struggle against sin. He helps us in our struggle against our own nature, the flesh. The flesh wants to go against all of this. And yet the Holy Spirit enables us to walk in the way that God would have us to walk. A way that is proper before outsiders. In other words, the world's watching. And long before they ever hear a sermon, they're going to see one in how we're living. That's why holiness is so essential. But then, there's one more aspect of this. I know I said there's two, but there's a third. And this has to do with perfection. There's not only the position and the process, there's also perfection. And this Paul talks about at the end of 1 Thessalonians. 1 Thessalonians, 1 Thessalonians 5 and verse 23. Listen to how, what Paul says here. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely... And may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. The coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, that's the final coming of Christ. When all of time will be done and all that will be left is judgment and the eternal state, either with God or away from God. When Christ returns, our position and the process finally converge into complete sanctification entire sanctification. In fact, the, the process is going to drop away because we've been sanctified completely at the coming of our Lord. God's work and our work finally meets and our work gives way to God's work. And we are finally and fully perfect and, and sanctified. And again, it's because of Christ. It's because of Jesus. We need to walk the road of sanctification with both feet. And what that means is, and I mentioned it earlier, we circle back to it right now, being separated from certain things so that we are separated to God. The separation from certain things, I believe, is seen in, in Romans chapter 6. Remember, Paul began that chapter by saying, Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? This deals with that antinomianism business. Yeah, holy, holy, income free. Grace, grace, grace. Nope. God forbid. By no means, Paul says. 
It's not just do whatever you want now. How can we who died to sin live in it any longer? We can't. And so he begins to connect this back to our baptism and how when, and this is what just kind of trips our minds out, at the point, the moment when we were baptized, we were baptized, we died with Christ, and that happened at the cross. And so this whole time-space thing kind of smashes together in that one point where when we died to sin, we died with Christ as well, and He died on the cross, and so we're... And it just, it's deep, Paul. And because of that, guess what? Christ, He died to sin, but He's alive forevermore. He died for sin, now He's alive forevermore, and sin no longer has dominion over Him, and guess what that means for us? Verse 12, let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Do not present your members to sin as as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and your members to God as instruments for, uh, for righteousness. For sin will have no dominion over you since you are not under law but under grace. This is the separation. On the one hand, it's separation from sin. Separation from sin. Sin is dethroned. It no longer reigns over our lives. It no longer has dominion. And in fact, what now happens is sin becomes bitter to us. We don't want it anymore. Because we want God, we want Christ more. We are learning to sin less, though we are not sinless. Not in the progress or process way. We still get tripped up. We still stumble. We still, ah, I shouldn't have done that. We devote ourselves to live like angels in the morning and by nighttime we're running with the devil once again, right? We, we know about this, the, the, the ongoing struggle, and yet Paul is saying, yeah, but we no longer count ourselves. We, we don't regard, we're not presenting our bodies to unrighteousness and to sin, We're freed from sin's power. We we no longer obey its passions. But now, we refuse to habitually and willfully live in sin. Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. Can't live with it. Can't live in it any longer. A saint that's full of wickedness That's a a monstrosity. No, we are putting sin to death in our lives. That's the separation from. But we're also being separated to God. How we are to, since we have this hope of one day being with Christ and seeing Him as He is, we are purifying ourselves. 1 John chapter 3 and verse 3. Or as Peter says in 1 Peter chapter 1, Verses 15 and 16. Get verse 14 in there as well. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance, but as He who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. Sin's been dethroned. Guess what? Christ now reigns over your life. 
He reigns from the throne of your heart. Now that sin is bitter, guess what? God, His will, His purpose, His pleasure, now that is mm, sweet. What, Paul, what, what Peter will say, in you get, you get to chapter 2, he says, taste and see that the Lord is good. We know the sweetness of God's will as Christians. It becomes a pleasure to do God's will. We are happy to do the will of God. The Holy Spirit has now taken up residence, and He is producing new desires and new affections. They go, they're contrary to, they're opposed to the desires of the flesh. But those desires from the Spirit, those new affections, those are what we are to pursue, what we are to will into action. And we are conformed to Christ's image in purity. The Lord sanctifies, and we consecrate ourselves. What does it all mean? We are in right relationship with God through Christ. That's justification in a nutshell. And as a result of that new relationship, we are holy and we pursue holiness. There's both the position and the process. Our minds, our bodies, our strength are to be used in order to bring God glory. They're to be used for God and His intended purpose. Now we see the world through different eyes. We see through sanctified eyes. We see our bodies as instruments of righteousness. We're not giving in to every passion of the former ignorance, as Paul says it here. We see others, and they're not merely means to gratify every desire and lust that we have. We don't see them as means to our ends. But rather, we see all others as image bearers of God. Some who've been redeemed, some who have yet to be redeemed. We put away the foolish lusts and impurity of sin and the world and the flesh. And due to the holy influence of the Holy Spirit in our lives, we now know better because we know God. We see God's holiness. Now that is of supreme value in all the universe. Nothing higher than to know God and to experience His holiness. <clears throat> Dr. F.B. Meyer was a, an, an evangelist in England. He worked uh, at the turn of the 20th century. At one point in his ministry, he came to a, a crucial transitional point, a specific moment during his ministry. He was in his office, in his study. He was kind of sitting there. He was dejected. He was taking survey of his ministry, and he said to himself, my ministry is unfruitful, and I lack spiritual power. And suddenly, it seemed as though Christ were standing right there, right beside Meyer. And Christ said to Meyer, He said, uh, let me have the keys of your life. Meyer says that the, that experience, it was so real that he actually reached into his pocket and he pulled out a bunch of keys. Jesus said to him, are, are all the keys here? Meyer said, well, yes, Lord, but 
they're all here except for one key to, to a small room in my life. And Christ said, if you cannot trust me in all the rooms of your life, I cannot accept any of the keys. So overwhelmed was Dr. Meyer with the feeling that, that Christ was moving away from him. Because he was excluding him from a, a particular part of his life, that in the moment he cried out, he said, come back, Lord, take all the keys. Take all the keys to all the rooms in my life. May I just ask, what room in your life is Christ excluded from? What room are you excluding Christ from your life? What, what key do you refuse to give the Lord? I exhort you, my brothers, my sisters, as you walk the road of sanctification, as you aim at being sanctified, consecrating yourself to the Lord, I exhort you to cry out to God, Take all the keys, Lord! Take all the keys! What is it we sing from time to time, have thine own way, Lord. Right? We, we sing that song. May we sing it and truly mean it in every area of our life. Let's commit this to prayer. Indeed, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, we pray. Take all the keys. Fill every room of our life. May we hold nothing back. May we lay no claim to any part of ourself. And may we fight with all that is within us against the world, the flesh, and the devil. May we see the world with sanctified eyes. May our minds be fully sanctified. May we walk the road to sanctification with both feet. Enable us to grow and to mature in our spiritual walk with you. And Father, may, may we live entirely for your will in all things. We pray through Christ our Lord. Amen.